I'm your producer, Todd Bartu, and this is Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from the mariner's point of view, port by port. Together, we share stories that detail the important intersections between sailing, culture, and life, past, present, and future. Coming up on today's episode, Mutiny, a story involving crooked cops, drugs, and infidelity. But first, let me introduce our host, a lifelong sailor who has traveled the world, raced international 14s, and crossed the Atlantic countless times, a published author who has written for both stage and screen, Mr. Scott Dodson. Thanks, Todd. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good today. Uh, we are facing lockdowns because of all of the protests that are going on uh, after the sad events of the world. Um but, you know, we're staying safe, staying indoors, and everything is going smoothly. How are you uh, holding up? Uh, we're, doing, we're doing well. We're pretty much staying bunkered in. Um, we've had to uh, move the family from one house to another house. Uh, luckily, we have that ability. A friend is not using their house. So that everybody can be safe because the marchers and and the looters who seem to be operating on a completely different uh, wavelength than the people that are supporting Black Lives Matter and are supporting, um, you know, justice uh, and the brutality of the police departments to try to get some sort of reform and change. And, and then the looters are just anarchists and... There's so much footage of this stuff right now of who's doing the looting and who it is. It's just it's so obvious that it's outside sources. Yeah. Just it upsets me as well as I know it, it upsets you. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Uh, so along those notes, uh, what do we have planned for this week's episode? Well, because of all the sort of upheaval, I thought that we would look at mutiny now most of us will think of mutiny as uh the movie mutiny on the bounty and with uh marlon brando as the laconic uh fletcher who kind of gets semi talked into um you know having a mutiny and that's what we think of but mutinies are also you have crew that are just you know, they're, they're against the captain for some unknown reason or some reasons very, very well, very good. I don't think we have that, we don't have that kind of problem in the military uh, in terms of the Navy. It's fairly disciplined. Um, but you can run across having a little mutiny on your boat. If you travel a lot and you have a lot of different kinds of crew, um, you have to really be aware. And this is a story about, this is a story more about my faults and what I failed to see than the people that caused the problems. Okay, great. Take it away, Scott. Mutiny. It's not a pretty word, and it's not a pretty action, 
And a lot of people have gotten hurt because of it. Mutiny really is seagoing as a reference. I mean, you can have military people mutiny. You can have, you know, army, whatever. But I think everybody associates a mutiny with uh, mutiny on the bounty, uh, mutiny on a ship, uh, pirates that mutiny, um, a lot of different kinds of seagoing stories that revolve around the word mutiny. Now, I have a situation that I'd like to tell you about mutiny, which I think was a learning experience for me. And one of which I made mistakes along the way, and I probably um, should have been paying more attention to what was going on. Let me set the scene for you. It was one of those years, I think I'm going back to 1991, maybe, 92, something like that. I had taken a year off of cro from crossing the Atlantic and going over and doing a charter season in Greece and Turkey. Uh, we had a series of weather systems that had gone through late in the year, which caused me to have some better judgment. Um, you know, hurricane season is usually finished or just beginning at that time of year, but um, I like to get going right after the Antigua Boat Show and Antigua Classics Week, which, by the way, I'm going to talk about uh, with somebody very, very important in that. So you sailors might know who he is, but... We're going to have a chit-chat. That's an aside. So, I decided not to cross. And because, because of the weather, we had a number of late storms. And by the time I would have gotten there, it would have set me back a month. And arriving late June and only being able to do July and August and a little bit of September. And then hanging around for that October, November especially the November-December window, to return back to the Caribbean. I, it was too much compressed time. And I thought, you know what, uh, this is, I'll take a break from doing all the crossings. But I will tell you this, for me, crossings were a vacation. I loved crossing. I mean, I would just go back and forth if with nothing else to do except just cross the ocean i just enjoy that super long distance sailing i love everything that happens in it especially if you're with a really good if you're with a really good crew and you know just people that are pleasant to be around that's kind of a big deal cruising long distances as many of you know is essentially boring uh you get a lot of reading done you watch all your movies that you have three, four times. You can play cards. Eating is a big thing. But for the most part, sleeping, you know, standing watch, etc. Mostly standing watch today doesn't mean actually standing. It means laying next to the helm and keeping your eye out so you don't run into anything and nothing runs into you. But pretty much it's it's a pretty quiet time. Just watching the wind. 
I mean, the big part of the day is is writing in the logbook. Each watch likes to check the the distance and you know where we are. Let's look at the big map. You know how much further do we have to go? And you know everybody becomes like the kid in the back seat at that point before you know like the last six days of anything. So I decided to forego that and. That summer, I took my boat down to uh, Trinidad. I had the bottom painted down there. Um, I had some woodwork done. And I had the floor in the forward head uh, replaced and uh, because it had gotten some dry rot and it was a little soft. And it was just a good time. I was, it was like a lazy time. It was easy. Um, most of the time you're in the yard, it's not a great, you know, you're working your ass off and it's against the clock. And, you know, you don't want to spend one more day than you have to in the yard. And you don't want to spend one more dollar than you have to when you're in the yard. But it always goes over and it always costs you more than you think. And you're always far more exhausted than you have imagined or experienced. So I, I came up from Trinidad. I had had a, a mate at the time, just one mate with me, and she decided, she's a French girl, um, she just came down for the trip, hung around, uh, helped on the boat. I, pay, I was paying her, of course. And then she, when we got back up to uh, St. Martin, she kind of went on her way. She actually, she was pretty, um, and she went on to the, nude beach there in in St. Martin and um, sold donuts or binets, topless. So I hooked up uh, with the Four Seasons Hotel in Nevis. Now I have told this story about, I've told stories about Nevis before and Nevis kind of reoccurs actually a lot um, in some of my writings because Quite frankly, a lot happened in the time that I was there. But what I started to do is run day charters for the hotel, which is pick up the guests at the dock, and they have a very funky dock thing there. You can not you can bring your boat up, but there's a lot of swell. It's not a natural closed-off port by any stretch of the imagination. It's, um, it's just, you know, it's open to the west, it's calm to a certain degree, and it's you know you get people in, hop them on the uh, in the dinghy, you take them out to your boat where it's anchored. And I was taking eight to ten people, private parties, four to five, six people, uh, couples, romantic couples, and I would take them across to a, list, a couple of little islands like off the spit um, in St. Kitts. They go snorkeling and diving. I'd make them a beautiful lunch, and then they would enjoy that time. Then we turn around, and go back to the hotel, and we get back to the hotel just after the sunset. Take them in, boom, goodbye, thank you, easy business, nice money, no problems. Well, at least that's what I thought. So in all this process. I decided to hire a local guy because I was by myself with the boat. And it's sometimes I had a CT-54. And I can handle the boat 
by myself very well and easily. Um, I have done tons of solo passages on the boat. Um, I think it's an easy boat to work. I think the thing about anybody single-handing a boat is, is, is all about systems. It's all about doing things when they need to be done and not skipping steps and organizing yourself uh, to such a point that it's almost like a ballet to get the boat off the dock, to get the boat off anchor, to anchor, to more, all that sort of stuff. You can do it by yourself. You got to hustle at times, but it's, it's doable. But it's also exhausting when you're also doing all the cooking and you're showing people where to look in, you know, where the eel is and where this fish is and you're showing them the coral reef and you're swimming for half hour, 45 minutes with people that are not used to swimming and you're praying that they don't drown and you're keeping your eye on them. So there's a lot of responsibilities. It's very hard. It's definitely a young man's sport, no doubt. Uh, so I decided to hire a local guy. The local guy's name was Mitchell. You know, dreadlocks, Rastafari, and super nice guy. Super, super nice guy. Well, at least I thought. He had actually worked on another charter boat that was there, a catamaran that was a party boat. And I asked the skipper about him, and he said, oh, yeah, man, yeah, man, he's good. Mitchell, yeah, he's a hard worker, and this, that, and the thing. So, you know, I had Mitchell come. I paid him. I had, he's, he kind of like almost started living on the boat um, to a certain extent uh, because we were running so many charters uh, consecutively day after day that he was uh, there first thing in the morning, usually picked up the towels from the hotel, which the Four season towels are always wonderfully thick and nice and soft and all the rest of that, better than any of the towels I ever had on my boat. So I used to have stacks of these towels. So Mitchell would bring these towels to the boat. And as it turned out, one whole side of the boat, the bunk, had towels. There's probably a hundred towels all stacked up, nice and neat, all clean, so that when they would get wet or dirty or stuff, we'd wrap them all up and we'd take them into the hotel. They would clean them. And then the next morning we'd pick up more towels. So we ended up with this whole backlog of towels. And I bring up the towels because the towels play a, a key element in the story. So Mitchell was really good. He he worked on the boat. I wouldn't say he was the greatest worker on the boat, but it was great for just, you know, he was a steady hand. He did the work he needed to do. He was very, very helpful. And he was pleasant to be around. The people liked him. Um, and he he did what he needed to do to earn his, his money. Well, Mitchell also had a kind of darker side to him and I never quite understood where it came from or how it got there and we would finish these charters of course and then you know after we get everybody on on land we would go to the bar the beach bar and we'd order some ting stings if you've never had a 
Ting Sting. It is uh, this Jamaican grapefruit soda called Ting, T-I-N-G. And the Sting came from a white Rothschild rum that they make in St. Kitts. It's delicious. It's so delicious that you could drink it refreshing. Drink it quenching. Drink it. Then, after a few drinks, try and stand up. It's not happening. Um, it's it's rum, and it's strong rum. Uh, but you don't taste that with the ting with the ting sting. So we would all have drinks, and you know, ha ha, have a good time. I'd I'd eat there. You know, I'd order food and have you know I'd. They had great food, great chefs, as we all know. They're really excellent restaurants. And we do all that kind of stuff. And that was all that was all great. But sometimes I would have like little lulls. So when I had a little lull, I would ask Mitchell if he would do some work. Like, could he do some varnish work? Well, I saw him do varnish work and it, it wasn't very good. So I couldn't let him do that. So I asked him if he would like clean the galley. Uh, he's not a very good cleaner. And he took offense that that clean a galley was a woman's job. I said, okay. And, you know, we went through a whole host of things. Essentially what it, what it boiled down to is, is you know, he, he liked folding the sails. He thought that was a good thing to do. And um, coiling rope, he liked that part. But for the most part, the he didn't really have any skills to that I could depend on as far as the boat was concerned but you know what this is the Caribbean this is Nevis this is relaxed it's like come on you know it'll get done when it gets done okay so that was sort of the the deal right so I'm gonna it's a long way for me to get to the end of the story but I'm just gonna keep going because it it just sort of illustrates this sort of unpredictable nature of mutinies and how sometimes you can't even see them coming. And, and in this case, I don't see it coming. So I used to have some time off on the boat. And rather than stay on the boat, I had the opportunity to, um, to go play golf at their golf course, which was cool. I love to play golf. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. So he used to take Mitchell along because um, he said he loved to play golf. He couldn't play golf. Uh, but anyway, he, he had a good time. We laughed a lot. He usually picked up the ball and gave up. And he says, I'll, I'll see you back. So he was going to go down to Sonny's. Now, Sonny's was uh, a little beach bar next on the beach, literally on the beach, made from... Uh, coconut trees, handmade bar, etc. It's actually quite famous. If you ever want to get out of the, the the cultured and clean and corporate look of Four Seasons, you would go over to Sunny and you could sit on a beach at night. He had uh, usually put up big bonfires and and you know some reggae music and people would dance and drink rum and there'd be lobsters and you know chicken on the grill and regular salad and all the rest of that kind of stuff. 
Well, I ended up uh, meeting a lot of people there. It was a local favorite, and it was a local. It was a favorite of some of the people in the hotel. One of the people that I met there was Rosa, and she was the wife. She was the Puerto Rican wife of the manager of the entire Four Seasons Resort. Now, these small little islands that have big corporate name hotels etc the managers of these things are very powerful Uh, they've paid their money to be powerful the corporation is there it's extremely important to the island's economy a lot of people work there a lot of people depend on a lot of things going on and this guy was in charge and his wife rosa really didn't want to be on the island she had like this crazy attitude and really didn't care and all the rest. And quite frankly, I didn't particularly care for her as as whatever. And I didn't care and I really wasn't paying attention. But I met her and then I met a couple of other really cool people that worked at the hotel and they were all very complimentary about you know, my charter and how the guests loved it, etc. And it was all fine. We had drinks, etc. All the rest of that kind of stuff. And then there were some local people there. And one of the local people was an English fellow and his wife, um, who had bought some property up on the mountain in Nevis, up on the volcano, and were building a, a house up there. And it was a it was a great idea. It was a great thing. And in fact, um a few weeks afterwards, I went up there and uh, looked at the house, and he showed me around, and it was it was kind of a, kind of a cool place to be at, just jungle. That's all it was around, and they had, they built a fairly large home up there. So I was invited to the her birthday party, his wife's birthday party, and so. I have these several things going on at the same time. So I've got the whole Four Seasons people I've met. They, I like them. They like me. Um, the manager's wife, who has an attitude, is sort of like eyeing me. And then this couple, English couple, who, who live there, um, they have this beautiful uh, house that they're uh, building up on the mountain. And I'm feeling fairly cool about the whole thing i mean this is a good time and uh not too stressful getting a boat and go you know i'm waiting for the whole hurricane season and and you know with luck i was going to have a quiet season that is that was an earlier story i told you about how i came off of the island in hurricane bertha if you look at that episode and uh that episode was called write your own story it's just as a note that's how I left the island. But here's the thing. Mitchell somehow became very jealous, angry. He, he decided not to do stuff. He, he wouldn't do stuff. So I say, hey, man, come on. I'm actually a pretty easy guy to work for. You know, this is the job. We do the job. Then we go play. Whatever. Do the job. Do the best you can, and if that's the best you can, 
okay, that's the best you can. I'm, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. I'm not a corporate guy. I'm not going to scream at you. I'm not a drill sergeant. That's just not, that's just not my personality. But I'm not laissez-faire either. You know, it's like I'm going to promote, I'm going to push a little bit to get people to do things the right way by educating and training and keeping the whole thing going in the right way. And I think one of the things that I had at this particular juncture is, is that positivity that I brought, that I wanted to bring to the situation was beginning to evaporate because Mitchell was starting to get a real attitude. So one day, there was the birthday party of the English couple up on the mountain. And then that was going to be in the evening at about 4 o'clock. The charter at 10 o'clock was actually booked by Rosa. And she was taking all the wives from the hotel out on the charter. Which I thought was really great. And I didn't charge them anything for that. I just said, okay, no, 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 I'm not going to charge you guys. It's been great. And the hotel hotel was paying me enough money and, you know, employees. And I said, no, don't worry about it. You don't have to pay anything. So we took him out. And then Mitchell was actually kind of upset because we weren't charging them any money. And I said, well, basically, Mitchell, that's none of your business. I said, here's your wages. I said, the only thing you're not getting on this trip is it is you know what the tips are and you know we got a couple the couple of the the ladies from the hotel uh, they left they left some tip money and I gave it to him but he was very dissatisfied and he was really he was basically really upset and I to this day I don't know why he was upset because he essentially got the same amount of money that he got for every trip every day and he always got it in cash at the end of the charter. What's the big deal? Okay. But he had something that was grinding on him. Grinding on him. And I didn't know what it was. And you know what? My mistake at this point was I didn't find out what it was. I didn't try to understand what his situation was. I just moved full. I was just going ahead. I was just going to go to a party. So I had cooked some beef stew. And I had left it on the stove. And I told him he could have some. I said, yeah, you could have some. But I'm going to go to this party and I'll be back. So I go to the party. Everybody from the island is there. And the hotel manager is there with Rosa. And he comes up to me and he is furious he is he is just there's fire coming out of his eyes and he says you have to leave the island i go what did i what what did i do he says you have to leave the i can't i you have to leave the island i said whoa 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 what did i do i says because i took your wife and the other ladies out uh for a charter you know that was all cool we didn't it was just everybody was there. It was like 10 or 15 people. And then he kind of like, oh, I thought you just took out my wife. I said, no, dude, I wouldn't do that. It's cool. So he kind of backed down and I realized, ooh, there's a jealous monster over there. 
And in this situation, I could see how it was because she she was actually shagging the um, dining room manager, who was a handsome guy, and um, he suspected something was going on. He just couldn't figure out who it was, um, so he figured it would be me, um, which was wrong because I don't even like her. I didn't tell him that, but it's everybody else kind of knew the same thing so we had this big party and that sort of made me sweat a little bit you know like oh man this island business could turn and an island in a sense is sort of like a ship you know it's a small place everybody knows everybody's business and there's a certain amount of discipline in the ship and then there's a certain amount of discipline everybody does their thing here there there and you step on somebody's toes cross some line that you don't even know exists and boom you're in deep trouble so I had quite a bit to drink, and uh, I, I came back down off the mountain and uh, took a, uh, got in my dinghy and motored out to my boat, and, and then on the boat was Mitchell. And Mitchell was sitting there with a pair of Sunday black dress shoes that he was polishing on my brand new white sombrella cushions and getting polish, black polish, all over my brand new white sombrella cushions. And I, I just like said, what the fuck are you doing? You fucking crazy. Put something under that. You shouldn't do that. Come on. I said, come on. Let's, you know, be cool about this. And I go downstairs and in the galley, there's the pot of roast beef that has been cooking for hours on the gas and is burnt. And I turn the gas off. And I came upstairs, and I'm coming up the companionway, and I'm yelling, like, you should have turned this off. You could have caused the boat. You have to be careful. You can't be on the boat. And I'm just, I'm just raging along. And as soon as my head pops up above the companionway, he cold cocks me with a glass bottle, a glass Coca-Cola bottle, right across the forehead. shook me but he hit me in the wrong spot because my head's as thick as oak so i i explode out of the companion way and he's standing there he takes another whack at me with the bottle and he's above me i block it but the bottle comes out of his hand and hits me just below the eye Well, we wrestle around and we punch and we fight. And he's a little skinny guy. I'm not a skinny little guy. And I pick him up and I throw him off the boat. And I calling him all sorts of names. He's calling me all sorts of names. I've got blood running down the side of my face like I'm a bloody mess. And, and he's in the water, 
And I said, you can swim back for all I care. Because he was a pretty good swimmer, but it was still a good solid swim to get back there. But, you know, that's his problem, not mine. So I went down. So I made sure he was gone. I will, you know, watched him off the boat. I took a boat hook out in case he tried to get on the boat. I was going to stab him. I mean, I was outraged. I had never, ever had something like this happen to me before. This is the whole violence, the mutiny of not seeing what's going, coming towards you. When I should have dealt with this problem, I should have asked him the questions. I should have found out what was eaten at him. I should have done something about it. I should have calmly said, okay, that's enough. We, we Obviously, we can't be together. It's not going to work out. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Let's just stay friends. But I didn't do that. I was too much caught up in myself. I was having fun on the island. Um, I love the whole island intrigue and secrets and you know, who's chasing whom, and da-da-da-da-da-da. So, that night, the Nevis St. Kitts Coast Guard comes by the boat. And Mitchell is on the boat. And they, they say that they would like me to come to the police station tomorrow at 10 o'clock. And Mitchell is filing a complaint against me. But he wants to come on the boat and he wants to get his things. And that would I let him do that? And I said, sure. So, and they said, if you would please just stay on deck, let him go downstairs and do it, go all the rest of this. I said, okay. So Mitchell brings his little skinny butt back on the boat. And he's got some. He's got a big bandage on his hand. He had actually scraped it on the side of the boat. There's some barnacles caught his hand. Yeah, it's a scratch. So he goes downstairs, and I'm trying to keep an eye on him, but he kind of disappears into a cabin that he had slept in a couple of times. Then he comes back, comes upstairs. The police or the the Coast Guard guys talking to me about this. Make sure you da 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 da. You know, make sure you get there. He comes out and gets on uh, gets on their boat and goes away. So I've got a 10 o'clock appointment at the police station in Nevis um, to discuss this matter of him essentially being a mutineer. I think this whole thing is fairly suspicious. So I go downstairs and I start to look around and I go to the towels and I put my hand under between each towel. I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling. Like I said, there were stacks of these big old fluffy towels. I get to this one towel and I find this package Aluminum foil in a square that wasn't mine that had been placed in the stack closest to the bulkhead, three or four up. Hmm? I open it up and it's cocaine. So I said, Oh man, they're gonna, they're setting me up. 
So I went and I, the porthole window was open in that room, throw it out the window. So I went and I got another piece of aluminum foil and I put a tea bag in it. I put it right in the same spot. Then I tried to figure out where he was on the boat. So I walked around, I looked around, and I, I couldn't figure out where he was. But I will say I gave him a pack. I gave him this blue timber something pack that he used. I say, hey, you can use this. It's no big deal. I didn't care. I was going to throw it away. It's up to you. But it was still very usable. And he took it, and it was like his pride and joy. And I had not expected to see this. So my little mutineer, Mitchell, is um, gone to the police station and has put charges against me. So I go down to the police station, and Lieutenant, or no, what was it, Corporal Kelly... He's in charge of the stuff at the police station. Now, if you've been in Nevis, this is not the this is not the police station up where the prison is and on the mountain. This is the um, police station that's in the fire station uh, down on the main road, and it's just like a little tiny closet office. That's the police station. Well, Corporal Kelly was notorious he used to be a captain or a lieutenant in the police department but he got busted so many times for setting people up for scams he's super crooked okay so i go down to the police and i go like i'm here look this kid he attacked me he hit me with a bottle i'm look at my face you know this that another thing so we're sitting in the office, and Mitchell's in the office. And as it turns out, and I'm not going to get too much into it, but I had to pay Mitchell his wages for a week of missed work, and I had to pay him compensation for his hurt hand because he wouldn't be able to work for a month with a minor scratch from a barnacle on his hand. And then that would be it. That would be the settlement. So well, how much is this settlement going to be? It was like four hundred fifty bucks. I said, okay, you know, I, I wasn't at the point right now where I'm going to argue with it. I realized that myself and my boat we're in real danger at this point, and in fact, I'm in so much danger at this point that Mitchell could end up at the end of the day with my boat and overtake my boat as a mutineer with the help of. Corporal Kelly. So Corporal Kelly starts asking me questions. He asked me if I know this guy. I said, uh, no, I, I know the name. He asked me about this. He asked me questions uh, that had absolutely nothing to do with anything. And then he said he would like to go. And, and in, I've been accused of running drugs from St. Martin to Nevis. And I looked at him with a kind of strange look, and I said, running drugs from St. Martin to Nevis? I think you mean from Nevis to St. Martin, because you guys probably grow all the pot here and then take it to St. Martin. 
And he was like, what, 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 what? How do you know? And he was like, he didn't want to hear that. But that's the truth of it. So we go back and forth. And then this other guy shows up. is another policeman. But he's got overalls on. And we're all going to go out to my boat. And they're going to, they're going to inspect my boat. He asked me if I have weapons on my boat. And I look at him, and I know this is a scam going on right now because, you know, the tinfoil. And I said, well, did you check my declaration with the office? He had no idea that I declared in. He had no idea about the paperwork that you had to declare when you come in. If you come in with a weapon, you know, sometimes you... you, you you declare the weapon. You could keep it on the boat sometimes. But a lot of times you have to declare the weapon and leave it in the police station as long as you are in the waters. And then when you're ready to leave, they come back and you can come back and pick up your weapon and then you have to leave. Weapons anywhere in the world are not American rules. You go by the rules of the country, period. There's no like, oh, this is an American gun. Yeah, everybody knows it's an American gun. They've seen it kill plenty of people. They all know. So this guy who is his helper wearing the overalls, we all jump in his his truck and we drive down the Four Seasons Hotel. We go out to the pier. We get in my dinghy and we go out to my boat. And these guys clearly hadn't been on a boat because they were a little bit weirded out and got instantly seasick so corporal kelly is downstairs in the salon it's a hot day and we're rolling a little bit so this guy the and he lays down on the floor in the middle of the salon. i i asked him do you want a bucket or something no 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 i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm afraid he's going to throw up because he's got the sweats i can see the sweats coming over him the other guy, he begins to search. I said, I'm not going to let you search this boat unless I watch you and watch your hands because I'm not going to be set up by anybody. And Kelly was, the corporal was so sick. He was like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. So this guy walks into the cabin with all the towels and he kind of fakes. He goes to the first stack, nothing there. The second stack, up and down. Skips the third stack, goes to the fourth stack, reaches in, three to four, whatever. Comes out, goes, ah, wah, look what I found. It must be drugs. And I said, open it up. Let's see. And I open it. He opens up and it's a tea bag. I said, tea. And the whole scam was ruined right then. Kelly got up. He was so pissed off. He just he threw open a cabinet door, looked in the cabinet door, and he saw my uh, my signal gun. And he said, "Did you register this?" I said, "No, that's a part of the ship's equipment. It's for safety. You know, you put it in, you fire at a flare. It's a flare gun. It's a signaling." Da 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 da. da. And he like looked at me like, and he was getting more and more and more upset. And I go, the other guy says, and, and I left him sit there, and, and he goes, Kelly goes up on deck because he's got to breathe. He's going to throw up, okay? And the other guy, he tells the other guy, and now they're all speaking this sort of nevis patois, okay? Which if you're not, your ears aren't tuned to it, you're not going to get it. But I'd heard enough of it 
over the years that I was I couldn't speak it, but I understood precisely what they were saying. It is an Eng, it is English to a degree, and so he goes in 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 um, the aft cabin in the main main uh, owner's suite, and he opens up a closet, and I look in the closet, and he pulls out the pack that I had given to Mitchell. Mitchell had stuffed that pack back in my closet. And he opened it up, and I am like, I didn't see this. I didn't. I didn't know Mitchell had come on board with it. I didn't know he, he, what? And the guy opened it up, and he looked in it, put his hands in there, felt around, threw it back in the closet. There was nothing there. And at that very moment, I thought, I just before he put it back in the closet, I thought, oh, I'm done. I'm done. How I'm go- where I I got prison time coming. The boat's going to be confiscated. Oh my god, I'm done. And then he throws it back in the closet, shuts the door, and he says, "That's good." And he goes upstairs, onto the deck. And then I have to take the two of them back to the dock, and we're having a friendly conversation. In the meantime. Corporal Kelly is is berating this guy, and he goes, "No, no, it was a tea bag." And da, 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 what happened? We should have done this. You should have done that. It's your fault. I mean, they were like, he was Kelly was going to kill this poor guy, who was just doing what he said for him to do. They leave. They go down the dock. I come back to the boat, and I'm like, "Whoo!" And I could see Mitchell standing on the beach. He's like, he's playing antic he's over there laughing and jumping up and down he figures i've been going to i got caught then he suddenly then he disappears when he figures out that no i didn't get caught you know the setup didn't work dude so off he goes he runs back into the trees the police leave i'm by myself on the boat again relieved and got everything set, cleaned up again. I go back in, I go to the beach bar, and I'm sitting at the beach bar, and I get a call on my phone from Rosa. And she wants to go out on the boat by, my, by herself. And I said, no. It's like, your, your husband is like a green monster. And I'm making some money here, and I'm not going down that road. So I'm s- sitting there, and he says, the bartender comes up to me, and he says, hey, they want to see you in the office. I said, yeah, okay, whatever. So I go up to the office. I come walking in the office, and the assistant manager there, the manager's there, and they basically tell me my services are terminated and that I have to leave the island. I'm being asked to leave uh, Nevis. And I'm like looking at him like, what? Well, you know, there's this whole drug thing. I said, there is no drug thing. Well, there's this whole violent, and they're just like making up excuses, making up excuses, etc. I said, yes, yes, okay, 
I said, I'll go back. I'm going to go back to St. Martin anyway. You know, wine is good. Everything's fine in St. Martin. I'm cool with it. So I go back down to the, uh, the beach bar and I order, I think, a hamburger or something. They had great hamburgers there. And hamburgers, fries, I'm having a beer, just trying to calm down from the whole damn incident that happened, trying to get rid of the hangover I had the night before, trying to stop my head from throbbing, which was throbbing because it was all swollen still. And I'm looking pretty beat up and probably pretty comical. Then there's a phone call to the bartender and the bartender says, yeah, he's still here. And like five minutes later, that manager is down and he's like, he wants to talk to me private next to the bush or something. And he says, I'm not going to have you cheating with my wife and I'm not going to have you this. You have to get out of here, get out of the island. This, uh, I signed your work visa to be here. And I mean, he's going at it with me. Like he wants to fight me. I said, dude, I don't know anything about your wife. I said, I have nothing to do with it. I said, I just had this whole incident with Mitchell, which was not my fault at all. Because I don't understand the kid. And he was just like, get the hell off this island. Get out of here. So I said, okay, fine. Fine. So I moved the boat. <laughs> I didn't leave the island. I just moved out of Four Seasons view, so to speak. And because I had, I had to collect some money from uh, another hotel that I had done charters for. So I moved the boat. The next morning, uh, I went up. I got the money from the hotel for the charters, and I got on the boat. I told them, I'm sorry, I can't do the charter, and I'm going back to St. Martin because there's been a serious kind of problem. You know, and I got the whole circles of influence speech, you know, like, we only like certain good people to be a part of the Four Seasons, you know, family and services and all the rest of the stuff. I had never heard such a speech and such both my entire life. So in any case, I got back uh, to the boat, got on the boat, and I sailed back to St. Martin. And that is a story of how a mutiny took place and was thwarted. That was a very interesting story, Scott, and it was. It sounded to me like it could have gone a whole lot worse than it wound up going. Oh yeah, there were elements. There were time elements that it, it, it's hard to to get all the things working in one time. But I would say that it's really it all occurred within a few days. And it was like one thing after another thing. And um, Corporal Kelly was a notorious, notorious character for setting people up. And the hotels um, who brought workers from other countries into work, you know, mostly the staff, uh, the professionals, um, 
they had to really be aware of where this guy was because he was he was a crazy man and sometimes you just run into this sort of stuff and um you know there's nothing you could do about it it's going to happen you just make sure you got a lot of money in your pocket and hopefully you're savvy enough to figure out how to get out of it yeah it seems to me like crooked officials and crooked cops are kind of a recurring theme uh, that could be found all around the world. Well, yeah, it is. It's, it, I guess we could look at it as crooked this, crooked that. I, I will say right off that I enjoy um, going into a country that coffee money can make things happen. Coffee money is what we refer to as, you know, those little payments that you give local officials. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it, it makes things work. And then if something disastrous happens, you can pay, you could pay them um, later and get out of it. Later on, we'll, I'm going to do a, uh, um, a podcast about a story that happened to me when I went to take over a vessel in uh, Spain and the problems that I had and that I was nearly arrested for doing nothing more than coming in and taking command of, of, of the vessel. And it was a, it was a bizarre set of circumstances, um, owner at fault for most of it, but you know, it, it just illustrates in some cases, the unfairness of the people, the, the, the officials, and in some cases, the fairness, they, they can be really fair. They can understand and, you know, they'll do what they can within the margins, um, Whereas, like in the United States, there's no margins. It's either A or B, black or white, done to done. It does. They're a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah. You you can't pay your way out of a ticket in the U.S. You can try, yeah. but I don't think it'll go very well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't go well. It's just yeah. There is nobody has any sense of humor. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So what do we what do we have coming up next week? Well, next week, uh, we have an interview with uh, a tugboat captain in New York. And uh, maybe some of our listeners will know him and follow him on YouTube. His name is, his site is Tim B at C. So Tim is, uh, I've, I've done an interview with Tim. We talk about tugboats. We talk about environment. We talk, oh, we just talked about a ton of stuff. And he's one of the more interesting people and maybe super, super nice guy, super, super nice guy and with a great deal of experience. And I think he bridges the gap or is trying to bridge the gap between what the professional mariner and the, you know, not so professional mariner and the local sailboat and powerboat uh, weekender. And he's got some interesting things to say, and and he wants you to know that he's watching you, and he feels a whole much, whole lot better when you uh, contact him um, in New York. It's on Channel Thirteen, but yeah, it's kind of an it was an interest. It's an interesting interview, and I think a lot of our sailors um, are going to really like it because we we get into the weeds. We get into the weeds as in t- in the terms of talking about props, prop wash, walking your boat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, I think it'll be very enlightening. Great. See y'all next week. 
Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to rate and review. You can find us on Facebook and at offshoreexplorer.org. You can also listen to past episodes at offshore-explorer.simplecast.com. Our theme song is sung by Paulette McWilliams, with additional music by Amanu Itomi and Tommy Ivisevich. Until next time, fair winds and calm seas.